You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Well, good morning. How are we doing today? We doing good? Hey, it's good to see you. Uh, my name is Daniel, as Brian said. I'm one of the pastors at our Milwaukee campus, uh, Hope City, and um, it's been a while since I've got to spend Sunday morning with you guys, but I'm super excited to be here again, spending time with you and uh, having the opportunity to share as we continue in our series called A Different Kind of Happy. Um, that hello to those of you who are joining us online. I think it's pretty awesome that when the snow starts to fall, we can still join church, but you guys came, and that's incredible. We got a full room. Um, it's great to see your faces. Great to be spending time together today. Um, and uh, we are, we're coming to the close of this series. We're not quite there yet. We've got one more week after this, um, and that'll give Brian a chance to clarify anything I'm confusing about this morning. So um, that's on him. Um, but uh, super excited to be a part of this series as we're talking about this. And we're throughout this series, maybe if, you're, if you haven't joined us yet, or maybe Maybe you're new, this is your first time here. Let me just give you a little bit of an intro to this series, A Different Kind of Happy. We're talking about the difference between the kind of happiness, the kind of life that Jesus invites us into. It's a different kind of happy than maybe the, the, the normal kind of happy that we think of. When we hear the word happy, it's kind of the, that normal kind of happy. We typically think of a happiness or a, a state of mind or a state of being that we achieve or accomplish is something that we that we earn. It's this earned kind of happiness. Maybe it's a, a happiness that we believe we deserve because we worked hard for this kind of happy. We hurt, we worked hard for, for this kind of life, for this lifestyle, or this ability to live in, in this way. It's a deserved happiness. Uh, but even when we think about that normal kind of happy, the, the, the kind that we earn or that we kind of find ourselves falling into, um, it's a kind of happy that can be fleeting, right? It's a, it's a kind of happy that we can lose sometimes in a moment with a decision that we make. Sometimes it's a kind of happiness that we can lose in a moment because of a decision someone else made that, that we didn't, we wouldn't have made that decision, but they did. And it kind of stole some of our happiness. This normal kind of happy is one that can be stolen. It's one that can and will decay, so it will, it will die eventually. It's one that we will eventually leave here. It's a kind of happiness that we can't take with us into eternity, into the next life, into heaven. It's a kind of happiness that has to stay here that we can't take with us. That's the normal kind of happy that we tend to think of when we hear that word. It's that normal kind of happiness. We're talking about a different kind of happy, a different kind of, of, of life that Jesus calls us into. And he doesn't just call us into it. He defines it for us, which is really good news. It's really sucky when someone calls us into something and doesn't tell us what it's all about. But Jesus gives us some instruction. He doesn't just give us instruction. He lives a life that demonstrates it as well. So not only do, does he teach us what it looks like, he shows us what it looks like. And uh, that's a leader worth following, someone who's willing to do what they ask others to do. Um, and Jesus really does. He invites us into this different kind of happiness. He invites us into this, this blessing that can't be stolen, 
that will not decay. It's one that we can bring with us into eternity. In fact, it's actually stored up there to begin with. And he, he invites us into this kind of happiness in many different ways, this kind of blessing in many different parts of his ministry. But one of the loudest uh, moments in his ministry where he invites us into this life is, is in the introduction to his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the introduction to the sermon, he has eight statements that he makes about blessing. He says, blessed are those. Or if, if you're used to you know, church, it's blessed are those. Blessed, pronouncing blessed, blessed just sounds more spiritual, I guess. I don't know. I think it's a King James hangover. I'm not sure where it comes from. But we just, we, when we read scripture and blessed is in there, we just say blessed. Um, but, but he talks about blessing in these eight statements and he attaches these characters characteristics or these attributes to blessing or living blessed. And uh, you might go, okay, well, what, what's the deal with this different kind of happy? Well, the Greek word that, that is translated blessed can also be translated happy. And so Jesus is calling us into this blessed life, this different kind of blessing, this different kind of happy. And today, as we're kind of coming to the close of this series, we're actually going to jump to the very end, to the last statement that Jesus makes of the eight in Matthew chapter five. And we're going to look at verse 11 this morning, where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. And this whole series, I've found it interesting that whenever we read scripture, we pronounce blessed as blessed. I don't know why. Maybe it sounds more spiritual. It might be like a King James hangover or something. I don't know exactly what it is, but blessed or blessed, same word, same meaning. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And if there's any one of these statements that Jesus makes that is, that is like seems to be contradictory to itself, it's this one, at least in my opinion. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Like, really? Also, this is highlighting the reason why Brian asked me to preach and he didn't want to, because it's this topic, right? So thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Um, but uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. And when we, when we look at this, we're like, that's definitely a different kind of happy than I would expect. That's definitely a different kind of blessed life than, than I would hashtag on Instagram. This is something different. This is something new. This is something pretty unfamiliar. And automatically, I don't know about you, but automatically I'm trying to think, okay, I'm going to read whatever's next really carefully because I want out of this one. Like I don't, I don't want in on this. If I can uh, avoid persecution, if I can avoid pain, please let Let's find the loophole. Jesus, what are you trying to do here? Um, and, uh, and, you know, if we think about our life and we think about our experiences, you could probably, as you, as you hear this word or read this word, maybe you can think of a time where you felt like, man, people were just coming against you. You felt persecuted. You felt oppressed. And as I was thinking about it, I can think of a time when I felt as if I was persecuted. And it, this is actually a moment when, when that feeling came into my own home. And it was shortly after I first got married. Um, my wife, Brandy, and I, we have four kids. We've been married for uh, a number of years. Um, 2009, 13, um, 13 years, uh, and uh, it's been it's been awesome. But uh, when we first got married, we started off living in an apartment, and there was no dishwasher in that apartment, so we were the dishwashers. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but you actually have to like get your hands in the dirty mess, and you've got to clean them, and then you've got to dry them, and then you've got to put them away. And so that was kind of our first experience for the first couple years of our marriage. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, a couple years after we got married that we moved in to our first house. 
And that first house had a dishwasher. It was a machine that cleaned your dishes, which is amazing when you're used to hand washing everything. Um, and that's when this perceived persecution began. See, every time that I would load the dishwasher, Brandy would come behind me and she would reload it the right way. She would reload it the right way. See, I, I, was, I was scolded for putting forks in the dishwasher with the tines facing up. I was also scolded for not calling the fork tines tines. I don't know if you knew that's what they're called. Um, they're called tines. There's a word for that. Um, but I was scolded for that. I was scolded for putting plastic, plastic bowls on the top shelf. Apparently they go, or on the bottom shelf. Apparently they go on the top shelf. I was putting them on the bottom and warping them. I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't taught this. And then I, she was getting frustrated with me for putting wooden spoons in the dishwasher. Apparently those are, they're, they're hand wash only. I was like, we just got this machine that does it. I don't want to do, like, come on. And, and so I was feeling like there was some opposition in our home and I was feeling a little bit persecuted. Um, I know, seems silly. Guess how I load the dishwasher now. Tines down, plastic bowls on the top, and I hand wash every single wooden spoon that we stir spaghetti with. Um, so, and the reason why is because Brandy was right. She was just right. And I wasn't being persecuted. I wasn't, my wife wasn't persecuting me. She was disagreeing with me. And not only was she disagreeing with me, she was actually right. Though I felt like she was coming against me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we can read this verse. We can read verses like it. And we can begin to equate disagreement with persecution. But someone disagreeing with us isn't necessarily persecution. It's just a disagreement. They're not threatening our lives. They're not threatening our safety. They're not threatening our emotional security or safety. They, they aren't ruining our reputation. They're not, they're not calling our character into question. They just think differently than we do. They have a different process. They have a different perspective. They come with a different story. It's just a disagreement. Sometimes we read verses like this, or we read this verse specifically, and we, we stop right here where I did. And then we assume that any resistance, any opposition is the evidence that we need to prove that we're following Jesus, to prove that we are blessed, to prove that we are living a different kind of happy, to prove that we're doing the Lord's work or that we're taking a stance to defend truth and defend the gospel because there's disagreement or there's opposition. We begin to assume that if I'm persecuted or even if I'm just simply disagreed with, then I must be right. My way must be the right way because Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. But I, here's a problem with that. Here's what's dangerous about that is that I could make certain that I'm persecuted any day of the week. I can make certain that there's a disagreement. I can make certain that there's opposition. I could even do that right now through this microphone in this room. I could just say a couple things and I could begin to divide the room. I could begin to cause some of you to oppose me. If I were to say something about the ducks or the beavers, there's even some jerseys in the room this morning. Like that could create some opposition. That could create some tension. We might call it persecution. We, we could talk about the Seahawks or really any other team and they're be some opposition maybe over on this side of the room if it was negative towards the Seahawks. Um, we, could, we could create opposition, division, pers perceived persecution any day of the week. And we could get 
even deeper if we were to start talking about politics or whatever it may be, there are some more deep things than just sports that can cause some emotions to stir. Here's the point though, before we go on. I could choose, we could choose, you could choose to say something incredibly hurtful, incredibly divisive. We could be incredibly aggressive and we would find ourselves persecuted. And if simply, if opposition is simply our measurement, then we could determine that we are now following Jesus simply because there's opposition. But to use persecution as the measurement for whether or not we're in right standing with God is actually backwards. Because Jesus didn't stop with saying, blessed are the persecuted. There's actually more to this verse. He continues, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of righteousness, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we're blessed. We experience a different kind of happy when we're persecuted, not because of opinion or because of perspective, but because of righteousness. When we're persecuted because of righteousness, what is righteousness? That's a great question. What does that mean? Righteousness is, is, is basically in its most basic form. It's right standing with God. It's standing with God. It's agreeing with what God has said. And it's the process of being made right with God through Jesus as his righteousness is applied to our lives. And we're going to get the chance to hear a little bit more about that next week as Brian comes and talks about righteousness um, as he closes out this series. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that today. Um, but this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And while most of these blessed statements are only one verse long, this is the longest one. Jesus continues to kind of double down on this. In the next verse, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We're blessed. We experience a different kind of happy when we experience persecution, whether it's emotional or physical or even social persecution because of our association with Jesus and because of our commitment to Jesus. Jesus continues one last statement. He says, rejoice and be glad, be happy because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, we're talking about the difference between this normal kind of happy and this different kind of happy. And right here, as Jesus closes this introduction, he points out that while normal kind of happy can't be taken with us, this different kind of happy that Jesus is inviting us into includes a reward in eternity in heaven. It's something you can take with you. It's something that's not fleeting. It's an everlasting kind of blessed and happy life. Jesus here also, uh, it's important to note, Jesus also says to be persecuted is to identify with the prophets. But remember that the prophets were persecuted by being imprisoned, by being tortured, even by being put to death. It's not the same kind of persecution that we experience here in, in America. At least most of us in the room, if not all of us in the room, our following of Jesus, our commitment to him doesn't threaten our lives. We're not being tortured physically. That does still, in fact, happen in other 
other countries across the world today. But here, we, we can't quite relate to that. And I think it's important to note that. And I also think it's important to note that many of the prophets, as they were experiencing some of this, they were, they were pleading for the persecution to stop. The persecution they were experiencing, it wasn't a badge of honor that they gloated about. However, they also, as they experienced it, they refused to abandon God in order to make the persecution come to an end. They continued to be committed to Jesus, continued to be committed to God and his truth and the, the building of his kingdom, not their own. And they celebrated the fact that there would be a reward for them, not here, but in eternity. And before we get too much further down the road, let's look at the word uh, that Jesus uses. The original language that this uh, was written in was Greek. And the word for persecute in Greek here is dioko. It means to pursue with malignity or to, pers or to, to persecute. Now, I don't know about you, but I love it when I look up the definition of a word and it just leads me to look up the definition of another word. It's like, okay, thanks, that was super helpful. I've just got to go back to the dictionary to look that up. Or when they use the same word that they're defining to define the word. Um, so I, I did a little bit of work for us. Um, really what, what this is communicating, this word is communicating that, that, that there's a malicious pursuit. In other words, uh, pursuing, there's somebody pursuing with the intention to harm. Persecution is hate in action. This word even comes with the idea of, of being harassed because of what we believe. Now, we can't really relate to torture or death because of what we believe or our pursuit of Jesus, but harassed, hated, people pursuing us with maybe malicious intent. I think today in this day and age and in our culture, we can relate to those things more closely. We've probably experienced some of that as we've made decisions to follow Jesus more closely. Some of us in the room have maybe found ourselves reveling in the amount of disagreements we've had with people. And maybe we've in our past counted those disagreements or those tension points as proof that we're living righteous lives. Some of us in the room, maybe, maybe from a different perspective, we've struggled with living more righteously, with leaning into living and looking more like Jesus, because we know that if we do, we will face a deeper level of isolation or, or disregard or, um, or pain or persecution if we do continue to follow him. And in this passage and, and in this moment and in many others, Jesus is giving us a reminder and he's even kind of issuing a warning. He's making us aware that the reality is when we live the way Jesus calls us to live, we will face persecution. It's not a maybe, it's not a might, it's not a possibility. It's actually a guarantee. It's a guarantee that Jesus followers, we will experience some level of harassment or persecution, hate or malicious intent as we believe in Jesus. In fact, um, Paul even writes to, uh, to Timothy, who's a church leader in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul writes this. In fact, everyone, again, not some, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. So when we experience persecution because of our faith or because of our belief, we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that we're experiencing it. And yet we shouldn't allow the, the frustration or the, the inconvenience or, uh, or maybe the, the pain of persecution to cause us to deny God for the sake 
of being comfortable. Jesus says that those who are persecuted are blessed, that we experience a different kind of happy, but only, only when it's the result of following him. It's not a blessed situation when it's the result of being contradictory or living disagreeably or, or being difficult or hateful or violent or tyrannical or exercising pride and arrogance. That's not what is blessed. It's persecution because we're living righteously. And so this, this whole thing, as we, as, we, as we kind of enter into, what is, it, what is, this, what is Jesus really talking about? There's a huge need for balance and there's a big complexity to it. And here's, here's just what's true and what we kind of find is true as we study the scriptures and look at what Jesus says. The reality is we will, no, back to that last one. Or, yeah, we will be persecuted when we follow Jesus, but persecution doesn't equal following Jesus. And the threat of persecution shouldn't keep us from following Jesus. We're promised that when we follow Jesus, we will experience persecution. But persecution doesn't always mean that we're following Jesus. Sometimes it just means we're being mean. But the threat of persecution shouldn't keep us from choosing to follow him. Along with, uh, with following Jesus, there is this promise of persecution. And we can't, Jesus tells us, Paul tells us that we can't control whether or not we experience it. But what we know to be true is that we can choose how we respond to it when we feel it. We can choose how we react and in our response, if we're not careful, if we don't choose to respond to it with wisdom and, and, and with, with high character, we can easily abandon righteousness. We might choose to abandon our pursuit of Jesus when we recognize or when we realize that it's our pursuit of Jesus that has brought about the persecution we're trying to avoid. But here's where we've got to be. We can't let the promise of persecution prevent our pursuit of righteousness. We can't let the promise of persecution prevent us from pursuing Jesus more deeply, from knowing him better, from following him closer, from loving him deeper. And it's difficult because we live in an age where, where comfort ultimately is king, right? Every gadget that's designed is designed to make us more comfortable. It's designed to allow us to be less responsible. It's designed to give us more control than we had before. And so we will consistently be tempted to pursue comfort over what's right. But Jesus didn't call us to live a life of comfort. He actually calls us to live a life of sacrifice and service, a life of righteousness. He calls us to live a life that's modeled after his life and persecution. Those moments threaten our life of comfort. So the question we've got to ask is how will we choose to respond? If we can't choose whether we experience it, how will we choose to respond to it? How will we respond when the pursuit of righteousness brings us great discomfort? How will we respond when, when following Jesus makes life more and more inconvenient? How will we respond when we feel like the things that give us that, that, that normal kind of happy might be removed from us if we continue in our pursuit of him? And we ought to respond by continuing in righteousness, not by abandoning it. 
And that's difficult because many, in many circumstances, we're experiencing it because we're pursuing righteousness. But we've got to hold fast to that pursuit. Paul writes, um, and I think this gives some insight into what does it look like to respond well? Paul writes to the church in the city of Rome, which is uh, kind of a big deal. Um, the church in Rome, the city of Rome, Christianity in that time threatened Rome's power. The church was not super popular uh, where Paul was writing to, where this church was. And Paul writes to them this in, in chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, don't conform. And I think this is where the complexity of this comes in. Because Paul is saying, and Paul's not the only one to say this, Jesus teaches this. Paul is saying, do not conform. Don't comply to the pattern that this world has set. Don't go along with the patterns of culture. Don't give in. Don't allow the patterns of this world to determine the patterns of our lives any longer. When we commit to following Jesus, we're made a brand new creation and we're, 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 we're on a brand new trajectory and we've been invited to reject the patterns of the world and participate in the patterns of the kingdom. So it's imperative that we reject the patterns of this world. In some areas of our life, it's imperative that we disagree with the way that people are maybe asking us to interact. It's imperative. But hear me here. How we choose not to conform is just as imperative as not conforming. How we choose not to conform is just as imperative as not conforming. We have to be careful that we don't reject one pattern of the world by using another pattern of the world. This is super complex. This can be really difficult. It takes a tremendous amount of patience, wisdom, and self-control. And there's all kinds of worldly patterns that we can fall into. There's lists of them all throughout scripture. Some of those patterns are the pattern of fear, just being afraid, not being bold, not being confident in who God made you to be, created you to be. There's a pattern of greed. I want more of what I don't have or more of what I already have. The pattern of lust. I want something that's not mine, right? The pattern of selfishness. This life is about me and nobody else. The pattern of, of hate, of lying, of deceiving. Patterns of blackmail, of threats. These are patterns of the world that the world already uses. And if we're really honest with ourselves, these are, these are patterns of the world that you and I will in fact be tempted to use in order to overcome darkness. But even later on in this chapter, in Romans chapter 12, Paul instructs the church in Rome to overcome evil with good, not with more evil. To overcome the patterns of this world with the patterns of the kingdom of God. And we as followers of Jesus, we're called to live. We're called to respond. We're called to pattern our lives differently. We're called to live by the pattern that was set by Jesus. And Paul continues to just kind of reiterate that and build this thought out. He just told us what not to do. And now in this next verse, he's about to tell us what to replace that old pattern, those old behaviors with. And the next verse, he says, but, in other words, instead, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, 
after you've been transformed, after your mind has been renewed, made new, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul encourages us to replace the pattern of the world with the patterns of Jesus. And to do that, it requires our minds to be renewed by God's truth, to be renewed by the presence of Jesus, by the, the, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. It's Jesus' teachings. It's the presence of God. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that renews our mind. And Jesus' teachings will cause us to begin to think differently as we look at our circumstances in our world. His teachings, whether we've been following Jesus for a year or a couple days, or whether we've been following Jesus for decades, his teachings will always challenge the way we're currently living. And when we get in his presence, and when we choose to submit and surrender our lives and our hearts to him, that's when we experience a deep transformation that begins on the inside which begins to transform how we interact on the outside. As we consider this, here's just a, just a couple observations about where we're at in this series and really where we're at in this introduction known as the Beatitudes, these blessed statements. These are just a couple observations. Here's the eight things that Jesus attributes blessing to in this introduction. And we've gone through almost all these. It says a different kind of happy involves being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, righteousness, that's next week, mercy, purity in heart, peacemaking, persecution. Guys, these are, these are new patterns of living, new patterns introduced by Jesus, new patterns that we can't live out outside being transformed by Jesus. These things don't happen naturally. I don't naturally work these things out at home, let alone in public. This isn't our natural tendency. They happen in our hearts transformationally. And this is only the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. When you continue reading, this sermon goes on from Matthew chapter five to chapter six to chapter seven. And Jesus will go on after kind of setting this foundation. He'll go on to instruct us to pray for those who persecute us, to give up our lives if we, if we want to gain life, to be salt and light in a dark and broken world. He instructs us not to hate, but to forgive he calls his followers to stay away from adultery, even adultery that might exist in our hearts. He says to love our enemies. He says to mean what we say and to say the things that we mean. He, he instructs us to give our money away rather than hoard it for ourselves. He tells us not to worry, to fast from things that distract us from living righteously. He calls us to practice mercy more often than judgment. And he says, narrow is the gate that leads to righteous living. This is transformational. This is a new pattern for Jesus followers to begin to live. We cannot conform to the patterns of this world. We must be transformed. Our minds must be re renewed. And in our rejecting of the patterns of this world, we have to be careful that we don't abandon righteous Christ-like patterns that have been taught to us from Jesus. And here's the reality. When we're transformed by the truth of God, when that's happened, when we've made the decision to submit and surrender to Jesus, we will be 
and will continually be transformed by the truth of God. And when we are, we begin to live differently. We make different decisions than we did before. And sometimes we, in that change, in that transformation, we can find ourselves being persecuted by others, being pursued with malicious intent by those who we used to call friends or maybe even those who we used to call family. We can find ourselves being cast out of groups we used to be invited into. When we no longer spend time gossiping, the the gossipers no longer spend time with us. And because of that, we sometimes end up being the person they now gossip about. We're not in the room, so they begin to talk about us. And the transformation that Jesus began in our hearts sometimes sometimes results in some form of persecution, isolation, rejection, hate, and hurt. When we choose honesty over secrecy at work, we might find ourselves no longer invited to the strategy meetings. We have a new strategy. Our strategy is truth and transparency. Sometimes in a world where marketing is a facade of perfection for the strategy. It's a different pattern. And because of that, we find ourselves uninvited from spaces we used to be invited into. When we choose to make peace rather than make war, those who are on our side no longer act like friends. Instead of fighting the enemy, we actually pray for the enemy. And those who actually maybe agree with our perspective can't understand why we don't hate those who have a different perspective. So we may be called a traitor, a hypocrite. We might be accused of living weak or not being bold or not standing up. When we experience that transformation, we start to reject the patterns of the world and we stay committed to righteousness. Our righteousness will often be the source of persecution because we're now living differently than we used to. But as we said in the beginning, it's so important that we remember we can't, as Jesus followers, let the promise of persecution prevent our pursuit of righteousness. We can't let the promise of persecution keep us from continuing to grow in our following of Jesus, continue to allow the presence of God to transform our heart and our mind. And this is super hard. And as I was thinking about why this is so difficult, why is it so hard for us to, to, to not allow the promise of persecution to stop us from pursuing Jesus? I think, I think it's often because persecution threatens to strip us of the most important things in our lives, at least in our temporary life. They begin to strip us, they threaten to to remove from us uh, our our prominence, our influence, maybe our position, our, our influence in the community, our influence in the neighborhood, because we're now living different and people will begin to question us. We're afraid that the persecution will will cause us to lose some of the things that matter most. And as we consider that, let's look back at what Jesus says about this particular beatitude. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom, not of this world, not the kingdom of the neighborhood, not the kingdom of society, not the kingdom of the political landscape, not the kingdom of of the temporary stuff that might serve us now, but is meaningless in eternity. But theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then down in verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward, not here, but in heaven. Great is your reward in the kingdom of heaven. 
And the kingdom of heaven is, is both now and not yet. And our reward is in heaven. And as we remember this, we can be reminded that what we may lose temporarily pales in comparison to what we already have in Christ. It pales in comparison to the inheritance that Jesus has already given us. What we fear we'll lose will never add up to what we've already been given. And this ultimately, the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is talking about in this whole thing. This is the perspective he's constantly calling us back to when we face the patterns of the world, may we be reminded that it's the patterns of righteousness and the kingdom that really set us up to be fulfilled from the inside out, to experience not fleeting happiness, not momentary blessing, but a blessing and a happiness that supersedes anything we may lose temporarily, that supersedes anything we may experience in the moment. This is what Jesus is pointing us towards. So this morning, may we remind ourselves, may we remind each other in our community, in our relationships here in this room, that we serve a God who's able, that we serve a God who's willing, that we serve a God who loves deeply, a God who restores broken hearts, who heals the hurting. May we be reminded this morning of all that God has done to bring us here today. And may we live expectantly of what God may do in the future because of who he is and because of what he's done. May we pursue righteousness even in the face of, op of opposition, of tension, of frustration, of persecution, of loss, of hurt, because we know. We know that he's with us and we know that he's for us. When we, look at, uh, when we look at Jesus' ministry, when we look at his life, we look at the way that he responded, we see Jesus living a righteous life, meaning he lived a life that agreed with God, that agreed with God being right. And because of that very way of living, he finds himself the object of insults. He's persecuted, he's falsely accused, he's tortured and he's executed as an innocent man. And if we just rewind from that moment to the night before, we see him in a garden. He's praying that this, this incredible gift of new life that he gives on the cross and through his resurrection, if there was a different way for that to happen, he's asking the father, could we do this another way? And yet we also see him willing to suffer if it were the only way. And he did suffer but not in vain. In fact, his suffering actually became our righteousness. His death and resurrection is what covers each and every one of our lives. He gave his life so that you and I could live. And in just a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna dismiss into a time where we get to celebrate the communion, the taking of communion, where we remember who Jesus is and we remember what he's done. And this is a moment where we identify with, with the end, that, that last night that Jesus spends with his disciples. Because just before he's praying in the garden, he invites the 12 men he invited to, to follow him for three years of his ministry to a meal. 
And at the meal, they share bread and they share wine. And Jesus gathers these 12 messy people and they're not perfect. They still have much to learn. They have much transformation of their minds and their hearts to do even going forward. But Jesus doesn't invite them to the table because they're perfect. He invites them to the table because he sees and he loves and he cares for them. And so this morning, each and every one of us, regardless of your background, regardless of where you've been, Regardless of what you've done, Jesus has invited us to the table. He's invited us into this family. He's invited us to experience a different kind of happy by surrendering and submitting to him. And so this morning, before we close, we're gonna take a moment to take communion together, to remember, to remember who Jesus is, to remember the the courage that knowing he's with us gives us to continue to live righteously and in alignment with him. Uh, And this morning, we're gonna do it a little bit different than maybe we've done it before here. So if you're new, this might be new for you. If you've been here for a while, this also might be new for you. But there's communion stations set up all around the outside of the room here. And right now we're in the middle of the season of Lent. And so we're taking some time, some more time. We're giving more time for us to reflect in this moment of communion as we're in this Lent season. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray just to close this time. And when we're done, the band's gonna continue to play softly, just some background music. And I'm gonna invite you to get up and go to those tables and take communion. You can feel free to take that however you like. You can bring it back to your chair and take it, you know, uh, on your own. Uh, I'd encourage you if you came here with somebody today, or maybe you've got some, some people in your home community who you saw across as you were coming in, I would encourage you, man, take communion together in this moment. Take it together, pray for one another, pray for each other, pray, come to God in remembrance of him. Share the areas that you're struggling with and ask God to come alongside you. This is a moment where we don't just take juice and bread because it's something we do. We take it because we're remembering and identifying with the fact that Jesus gives us the strength we need to live righteously in the face of persecution in opposition. So I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, I'll dismiss you here in the room to do that. For those of you watching at home, you can reflect with those that you're watching with. But let me pray for us before we close. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your goodness, for your life. Um, God, thank you for the fact that you didn't just tell us and teach us what we ought to do. But God, you lived a life, Jesus, you lived a life that demonstrated what it looks like. And God, I pray that for those of us who are in pursuit of you this morning, God, for those of us who are reflecting on maybe how we've responded to persecution or to opposition, God, for those of us in the room who are maybe reflecting on the the ways that we've categorized something as persecution and counted it as righteousness rather than counting our righteousness as righteousness. God, would you give us courage? Would you give us boldness? Holy Spirit, would you give us wisdom to not only identify it, but to have the courage and the boldness and the trust to make a decision, to reject the patterns of this world and replace them with the patterns that you've set out. God, may our hearts be transformed. May our hearts be renewed as we submit and surrender to you.
And may we pursue righteousness even in the face of opposition. In Jesus' name, amen.